globe. Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless. Today we are joined by the powerhouses that make up the Veronicas, arguably Australia's most recognisable female band. We caught up with Jess and Lisa Arigliasso in Brunswick to chat about the meaning behind their new hit single, Think of Me, and what it's like to become very, very famous when you're just teenagers. Here's Jess and Lisa. Jess and Lisa, welcome to the show. Zara and Michelle, thank you so much. I feel like we're couple couple dating. <laughs> well, I feel like we sort of match and you babes sort of match because of the pink and the pink oh, and the white. See, we know. all colour coordinate. We did. I love it. I love it. We always start every interview with the same question, which okay. is, what were you guys like as kids? What was your childhood like? We were strange kids. Um, we were very quirky. I was often trying to drown Lisa in the bath. <laughs> We've just watched back baby videos and I'm constantly trying to drown her. Having deep-seated issues about being a twin, I think. Mm. I was painfully painfully shy, quite sensitive. We were both quite shy and sensitive. Yeah. Do you think that's a twin thing, though, that when there's two of you and you're really young, you can be shy because you can kind of bond together and like have your personalities together? Maybe so. Mm. Absolutely. I, I don't know. We, we, were, we were just watching baby videos, so it was interesting to watch how we are and it's very similar to how we are now. It's not necessarily that different, even our rapport with each other. But they called me Mona Lisa when I was little because I would cry a lot. Again, very, very sensitive to my surroundings. And Jessie was sort of very, I'm the star of the show. Look at me. Look at me. Which is nothing like I am now, you guys. (laughs) Is that quite similar now, though? Like, how are you guys now? Like, what's the dynamic that people wouldn't see? It changes. I think when people meet us up front, I'm more extroverted on first meeting and then I pull back and become more observational whereas on first meeting Lisa's more observational but as you get to know her she's a bit more extroverted so I think we we have these particular roles that are opposite at the start and then we revert into the opposite roles after we get to know people Think of Me is the first single in is it two years is that right? Best single in two years. Um, so they've been saying something like <laughs> that. We don't really is- keep track. Everyone else is like, it's been two years. I'm like, great. Everyone's done the, the homework for you. Yeah. What was the inspiration behind it? Because I imagine after a little bit of a hiatus like that, it pr- probably takes some time to come back together and put music together. So what was the inspiration behind this single in particular? So this single is actually just a small sort of piece of the puzzle to a bigger picture which is this album and Lisa and I do tend to work in the sense of creating a a bigger picture creating an album and so you know what we started with um, first and foremost was that we knew we wanted to make this album very feeling based so Think of Me was the second song that we had written for the album project and so we just went with like a relatable feeling that I think a lot of people can sort of have felt at some point in their lives or will feel at some point in their lives, which is just when something comes to an end um, and you're left wondering these certain, you know, different aspects. Yeah, reflecting on a relationship. We just sort of delved into that particular feeling and created like a sonic landscape around that. A song line that really stuck out to us was, I underestimated how complicated you are. I don't miss being hated. My favorite I don't line miss fighting your war. First of all, who came up with that line? Well, my diary. Let's, let's say let's say that was yeah straight from Jess's diary. Maybe no, I think um, it's a very graceful lyric, really, isn't it? Yeah, I love that. I love that lyric so much. Um, when we wrote that lyric, I was quite thrilled. 
Yeah. It, We're feeling it. Yeah, I think it's a graceful way of saying like, oh, I just don't even know what happened here. I really um, was so blindsided, blindsided by how yeah. just how complicated. It's Again, it's all just quite reflective. People are going to naturally speculate about where these songs are coming from, given how you guys are in the public eye and some of your relationships are in the public eye. And you are doing a publicity tour where I imagine people are asking the same questions that we are, right? Like, where's the inspiration come from? How private or how public do you make those private relationships? How is that process? Like, is that hard or is that the kind of thing that you just acknowledge is going to happen when you write a song that personally? To be completely honest, we've always created music the exact same way. It just so happens that we've had relationships with people that are sometimes in the public eye as well. That's the only thing that's changed. No no other aspect of how we create has changed in 15 years. Mm -hmm. So it's just that some things are more interesting to, to the public, I suppose. But, you know, to have to create or give context to that isn't really anybody's business. It's it's our right as artists and or it's our um, honour as artists to be able to put our feelings into our music and that's where we've found our greatest sort of therapy and joy and to have to create any context around that for anybody else's entertainment is not interesting to us at all nor are we interested in that. When I listen to music, yeah. I love to feel it for myself. Um, you know, as someone who grew up using music as their therapy and even songwriting, it's like just because a song means something to me doesn't mean I want everyone else to experience it as that. So I think there's so much power in in that in itself. So to give context would sort of take away the magic for someone else. Mm. Like we all want to bring our own experiences to something and experience it through our own lens. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Is it therapeutic or does having to write music about your own lives, which I imagine you've always done, kind of add another layer of complexity to feeling things? Like there's got to be some trauma that you've got to dig up in order to find that art. But is that also hard in itself? Like it's not always this really cleansing, clarifying process? No, because when you're in a room creating music, it's it's very intimate. It's a very intimate space. So you're not sitting there thinking anybody's going to hear it. I feel like if you are too aware of that and you're trying to create from that space – it distorts the uh, yeah. the authenticity of you, the moment and what you're trying to say. We always write as though possibly nobody will ever hear what we're writing. We don't and there's plenty it. of songs that we've written that no one ever hears. Yeah. So it's like, you Nor know, we are constantly heard. writing. We're not going into the studio saying, we're going to write our first single today. You know, it's it's we're going to go and write what feels true to us today. And so, and again, yeah, so much of that just doesn't even get heard. How do you decide that? So if you're writing songs all the time, creating all the time, what is it inside you that makes you go, this is a single or this is what we want to release? I think it's the one that hits the heart the most. So for me, it's like, uh, I'll think there's a song that's really special. The one that will stand out to me is the one that every time I listen to it um, takes me to that exact frame of mind or that feeling that I felt when I wrote it. Or I sang it. Yeah, I think it's a feeling. And again, we really approach this entire album with feelings first. So it's it, it just it feels a particular way. It's very hard to explain. It's just that as fans of music, we're familiar with what it feels like on both sides. This is going to sound like a dumb question, but I think it's a question that a lot of people would have or not think about. I mean, you guys work very closely together and you write your songs together. 
What's that process actually like? Are you sitting there with notes and you're swapping them? Are you sitting there with a computer? Are you in front of a microphone? Like, how does that work? Yeah, all of the it above. Can, yeah, it can happen so many different ways. So, so yeah, many. We, I, I mean, I it's like, like to write. Like, I like to have a like actually physical write. Sometimes I'll do it on my phone, but yeah, we um, we are very tangible. So we like a pen and paper. Uh, but there are times when I'll literally just take my phone in with my notes, and you know, sometimes I won't even write lyrics down. It will just literally be up here. We have discovered that we we do write quite differently. So I'll start, I'll hear a melody in my head and from the melody I hear the lyrics. Whereas Jesse does tend to I'm like, write the lyrics out first. Yeah. First and then melodies with that. But I think that's why we collaborate so well because we both have different ways of processing music in that sense. But it is interesting. I mean, you know, you have to schedule in time sometimes to write with different producers or writers uh, but then there's other times when Jess and I will just get together and start jamming on an acoustic guitar and we'll write a whole song and you know it's just natural like that. That ties into our next question which is about you two as both sisters and I guess work colleagues and soulmates in a way. <laughs> yeah. How has your relationship changed over the years particularly in the last couple of years? I don't think that our relationship has changed. I think it just continues to transform and become clearer. And twins have such an interesting dynamic because you grow up with a shared identity, not even by choice, but by society standards, you are treated as one so often. There's still so much research being done on the healthiest way to raise twins to have separate identities. And so it's really fascinating to then, you know, come together and, and choose a career and such a close career with um, with your twin and it's such a beautiful blessing because you have your best friend with you and I think that if anything we've learnt just to understand and respect each other's differences and similarities and embrace both of those things at an even deeper level um, as each year goes by. With you guys as twins I'm so intrigued and I think a lot of people are that aren't twins about the twin relationship. Like Michelle just said before is it like a soulmate kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, oh there's, This is like lifetimes upon lifetimes of karma that we've come back in together. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. There's, there's something here that needs we to be like, settled. We totally <laughs> killed each other in a past life, honestly. It's awful, morbid. But we were like, yeah, probably. So then probably with all of that in, our mind, in the back of our minds, I want to take you back when you were younger and you started sort of like jamming together and writing together and playing music together. Was there a point where you both said, A, it's going to be music for our career and B, we're going to do it together? Like was that mm-hmm. ever a conscious decision or did you fall into it? Oh, we were probably about 11 years of age. Well, I mean, it was the most natural thing in the world. We grew up around music because our dad was in a band growing up. So we were constantly around guitars and he was playing at parties and things like that. So we were always in it and around it. And yeah, I think it was around the time we were about 11 and, you know, our parents kind of said, do you, do you love doing this? Because we started theatre when we were five. And we were like, yeah. And they were like, cool, we'll get you some singing lessons and things like that. So it was somewhat of a conscious choice, but there was no other choice, if you know what I mean. It just felt like natural, meant to be. Did you ever, either of you ever exercise the thought of doing anything else? Ever? No. No. Not at all. No. No. I mean, and now I, we have separate interests. Like, I have um, quite an interest in spiritual psychology. I would love to go and do a degree in that later in life. And, you know, as far as what I do in my own time, I love to delve into that subject. We have a lot of interests and hobbies that are completely separate, sure. But, no, there was no question about yeah. whether we wanted to create music as, you know, a, a job, our, our living, our Career. soul. Mm. So it, it was always intrinsically there. I mean, we were watching these baby videos where – we're harmonizing at six months old. 
Like we're making our own little language at each other and literally harmonizing. So it was it, it ingrained this intrinsic bond that creates music. Well, like magic, I guess. Magic. It's like an unspoken bond very in sweet. chemistry between you. Yeah. I'm interested in the spirituality thing. Are you both spiritual people? And if mm-hmm. so, how does that manifest? Spirituality is such an interesting topic. And the way that I subscribe to spirituality is that whatever form of higher consciousness that you choose to relate to, whether it's a God, whether it's universal consciousness, whether it's God consciousness, for me, it's whatever that is, it's the ego mind versus the God consciousness mind or the higher mind. And I think recommitting every day to being in a space of love versus a space of fear is always the goal for spiritual happiness or and, and, and what people would um, deem enlightenment. But I think that that's a constant recommitment every single day to that, to that um, space. Do you ever feel like, as people who have been famous and two women who have been famous for a very, very long time, that there are certain parts of yourself you're you're not willing to share or you're not sure how people would interpret, including things like that spirituality, like things that mean a lot to you? Do you want to hold them close or do you think I want to be public about all of these parts of myself? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. So, you know, we've been big voices and advocates for a lot of different things like that, anything to help empower people because that's been our personal journey. We didn't really have that growing up. So that was our own self-discovery. And I think that makes us want to share those things with, you know, we, we actually really care about our fans and, and you know, they feel like family. So, you know, we we do care and we do, I suppose you, you're, you become aware of the fact that maybe you are somewhat of a role model and there is a responsibility with that. And, you know, it's sharing a part of ourselves in those it's ways. is real. It's an honour and we get a lot of joy time, from that and and even being a voice for our, our advocacy for Sea Shepherd and Wildlife Warriors and Dementia Australia Ambassadors and all the different organisations using our platform and our voices from the Veronica's to be able to bring more attention to those causes actually has for, for me and I'm going to speak on your behalf, those are the things that feed your soul. So... Music does that too, but music always feels a little more, for me, self-indulgent. I make music for myself. You know, that's my form of therapy. is an interesting one too because, like, you can have all these spiritual values, but in a capitalist society and in any industry where it's entertainment and it's very egocentric – your spiritual values or spiritual life isn't necessarily – it's always an interesting challenge to find – the higher aspect to hold at all times while involving yourself over here in a very ego-minded industry. And, you know, that also comes with, like, alter egos, onstage persona, how much you share of your own experiences. um, The perception. Perceptions. All of that. It's very contradictive. And so I think that, you know, the the thing that I always love – when I listen to podcasts from like Russell Brand or Jay Shetty or someone who are very big people in entertainment but also have that other side of trying to understand how to implement spirituality into your everyday sense and being, it really just comes down to being a good person. Being a good person, ultimately having the greatest compassion. And for us, that's where sharing as much as we can as far as those subjects are concerned is ultra important to us. So, yeah, we can we share. I, I share a lot of stuff about – I've shared a lot of stuff over the past 10 years just about my sexuality. And I know that that's been something that a lot of our fans have loved and, and grasped onto and held onto, especially because we – 
the last 15 years, really, um, it's been 15 years that we've been sharing on that level. We, we were one of the first bands on MySpace. So having that direct contact with people mm. and being able to share your journey is, you don't, um, you couldn't even imagine what kind of impact that might have on people until it's been 15 years and you can look back and actually see the, the journey for itself in reflection. Based on all of the charity work that you guys do and based on a lot of what you've just said, it does appear like you guys have really big hearts. Does that make it then difficult to work in an industry where there might be some personality types that are very dogmatic, very arrogant, egotistical? I feel like if you guys are going in and you do care about so much and you do have such pure values and intentions, that would be kind of soulfully draining. You have mm. to make a conscious choice sometimes to... Yes, it can be draining, but then also like, and it's hard to say this, but at times you have to switch that off to be able to exist as well in this industry. And that's just the reality you of it. You actually just have to sometimes focus on the business aspect of it. I think when we look at people that have been famous for a very long time, we forget that there was a time that they weren't, right? When you did start making music and you were in it for the music and then you were thrust into this industry that's completely glittery and um, like we keep saying, like there's a lot of ego wrapped in it. What was that experience like? Were you like, what the fuck is this and how are we going to navigate this when you become quite famous quite quickly? (laughs) I think for us that never felt real. Yeah. For me personally, I was always slightly embarrassed by it, uh, by the celebrity aspect or you know the tabloid aspect because that's that is the celebrity aspect um getting to play really big shows and rock out on stage that's awesome like I was having the time of my life you know we we were living it up but it was it's more of that that other stuff like paparazzi and like all the stuff that people might actually these days think is cool I was always a little bit embarrassed about it. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that that. I think people find it hard to differentiate the fact that that's not real. Yes. I I don't think we ever, for whatever reason, whether it was the way that we were brought up or being from Brizzy and not growing up in that world or even understanding it, we never felt like that was reality now. It was always like, well, this is reality over here and this is hilarious Mm. and how funny, but sometimes getting sick of it. and But always... And we were just saying this earlier, always coming back to, for us, the music. It always mm. started with the music for us. So when anything got too much or anything got too tabloidy or crazy, we would always retreat back to the studio and we would write about it or, you know. But we also had that beautiful thing of we actually lived in America and we sort of blew up over here before there. So we would come over here and sort of do promo and it would feel kind of crazy and everyone knew who we were and it was a little confusing like wow this is cool and then we would leave so it wasn't like we ever took that as though that was reality because our we we sort of lived different lives in our personal time that album that I'm thinking of that blew up, I think in my experience was the Forever album. Was that the, the Secret Life? Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember, I remember having that in my discman going around <laughs> Australia with my family and just having it on loop. Right? I feel like everybody my age did. So when you did blow up to such extreme lengths, then was there any point where you thought, how do we maintain this? Like, how do we keep it going? Were you ever worried that we should have been? No, we weren't. We weren't worried about <laughs> we it. We should have been. But a yeah, bit I mean, more on the business aspect. But yeah, what do you mean you should have been? Well, we had a lot of people involved that were taking a lot for themselves and like very short-sighted as far as grabbing what they could at the time and not investing in our longevity or understanding how business worked. And like yes. Lisa was saying today earlier, um, our biggest progress over 15 years as artists has just been understanding the music business and growing as businesswomen because being 
business women is an even bigger aspect than the music side. Mm-hmm. But you don't get told that when you're starting. When you're signing a $2 million deal at 19 years of age, you're not told that you need to be aware of what's going on business-wise. You're just, you know, you get you get a lawyer, you get, you know, everybody involved that is, has your best interest, but then five years later you realize where actually it might not be your best interest. It might be their best interests. How was it discovering that, figuring out that maybe the people you've been surrounding yourself with were in it for themselves and not in your best interests? You just take it in your stride and keep moving and you just keep learning. I mean, you gotta just any keep aspect looking forward. in life. Yeah. We, we were saying this is, again earlier, like death and rebirth. We're constantly given that the symbolism of death and rebirth in every aspect of your life, in relationships, in your careers, in your personal, spiritual lives, in your everyday actions, death, rebirth, recommit, recommit. And, and I think because it has always been about music for us, that's something that no one can actually take away from you. It's, you know, we're songwriters, we're artists, our voices together that uh, the fabric and, you know, the blueprint of the Veronica's and they can take all your money and all, all the rest of it, but they can't own that. That's us. So I think that's where we, that's where our magic that's lies. We drive so, and what we really enjoy and love and well, yeah, and that's to why, take with us. That's yeah. why 15 years later, it's like, you know, these people come and go, you learn your lessons. That's, that's all part of growing. And sometimes it's painful um, and it's unfair, but you know, we, we have always recommitted to the idea of, of it's honestly in this industry, you've got to do it for the love of music because there's a lot of, you know. There's has all- that ever fallen away? Like has the, the tabloid culture and the fame sort of eaten into the job so much that the music or the love of the music has fallen If we are talking about, you know, fame and haters and things like that, I mean, over the last sort of year and a half, there were reports about what was going on between you guys and your music and that can't not hurt, right? Like regardless of what was going on behind the scenes, that stuff can't not get to you. Did it mm. get you down a lot in that time when you were kind of the biggest story in the country for a few weeks? <laughs> well, I didn't realise we were the biggest story in the country, but um, I feel like people really rallied behind us when mm-hmm. when that when that narrative was swinging around but again it never felt real to us because it wasn't real if that makes sense that time was so complicated for so many different reasons that a headline couldn't sum it up so they put it they well no they put it into a space or maybe it was being played out in a space where you know you could somewhat it, yeah but that's what i mean it wasn't At the end real. of the day it wasn't even <laughs> it about wasn't us. about you no it wasn't even about us and it wasn't about us having a feud it literally wasn't about us that's why it was like the story seems a lot more interesting than the truth and the truth is it wasn't about us that's really interesting to me and how do you kind of did you ever feel like i mean you said that that your fans sort of rallied around you at that time. You pushed the album back a bit and you said, we just like need to deal with some shit. I mean, you obviously had some family stuff going on with your mum too that you needed to deal with. How was that process of saying, um, we want to get the, I don't know if the faith of the trust of the fans is the right wording, but mm. was there a process where you're like, okay, we need to get rid of the drama and actually trying to sell ourselves back as, as musicians again? Did that thought process ever go through your mind? I don't think that there was an idea that we had to do anything for the public more so than had to do things for ourselves and um, we wanted to get back into the, into the studio and make music but yeah there was again life so that's what that's what happens and when you're in public eye and there's a lot of narratives going around and people who can't control themselves within your sphere adding to whatever narratives happening that you can't again you're not a part of regardless of 
if you're close to that person or a pupil. And we really took the time to move through it for ourselves. Our our relationship was the most important thing to us, obviously, our family. And, um, yeah, so that was just that. You said something in a YouTube video recently that really stuck with us. We heard you say the sentence, whenever you say no to someone else, you're saying yes to yourself. (laughs) I love that. We literally paused the YouTube video and we're like, fuck, that is the best. Can you explore that? And also tell us how have you actually implemented that yourselves? Because I feel like you guys do embody that quote. Yeah, that's something that I've had a really hard time with actually is saying no. Um, I think maybe I was a little bit of a people pleaser growing up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just, I didn't always like, I'm I'm someone who never liked confrontation and once I realised that it's okay to stand up for yourself and speak up for yourself when that's your truth, that was like the gates of heaven opened up and I was like, wow, I can say no or I can you know, I can honour myself first and that's not, you know, shitting on someone else, you know, or it's not um, – I, I think I had a very – I don't know why I sort of had this guilty conscience growing up. I just felt guilty saying no. Is it because maybe when there are female musicians who are young and who become famous really quickly, there's this, like, stigma of being a diva? Like, oh, yeah. did that ever cross your mind? Well, we like, got told we were divas. We, we had a team around day. us. The fact we had an opinion – now. Growing up, we always had a very strong sense of self. So, yes, very opinionated women. And, I mean, we're talking back in 2004. And we had a team around us who would tell us to, you know, stop being bitches, shut up and sing because that's what we're meant to do. And it was incredibly frustrating. And it's not like I was there being like – but so much of our opportunity is being led by these people and I think Jessie was always very headstrong. She would go combat like head to head with anyone whereas I think I was always sort of the strategic peacemaker trying to figure out the best way to get what we want but try and make it look like it's maybe someone else's idea because it's playing the game. It was constantly playing the game so I'm there. Jessie was a little more reactive and I'm a little more strategic tactic (laughs) and so I think we worked quite well as a team but you need a bit of both. Yeah, sure. So maybe I was a good cop, but, you know, it's – I'm too old for that now. It's like – But when you're 19, like, I don't think we can stress how young that is. Like, being 19, you must look back on that and be like, we were babies. Like, we, we were, were tiny. Babies. Who yeah. keeps you sane and grounded in that time? Because it would be impossible, A, not to think that you are the shit, and B, <laughs> think that, like – this world is amazing. Like, who does keep you grounded? You know what's funny? We never thought we were the shit. And you, you talk about celebrity and famous a lot. We never saw ourselves as famous. It wasn't... You know, we, we always saw had... ourselves as famous. But we never saw ourselves as pretty. We were never the pretty girls growing up. We were no. never the, like, insanely talented girls growing up. We just worked really hard and we loved what we did. And, you know, was even no... when we were younger, like, through our teen years, when people say, oh, what do, what do you want to do? We said, oh, we're going to be... We're going to be singers. And they're like, oh, cool, like famous singers in Australia. And we'd be like, no, we're going to travel the world. And it was always that, again, it's that intrinsic knowing who we are and where it was going to go. Our power lead in our storytelling, it it was never attributed to any other aspect of us. It wasn't attributed to our looks, our fashion, anything else. That that all sort of, well, looks never came into the picture. (laughs) But everything else like fashion and, you know, all the other aspects to do with, 
that being a pop came star. later, being a pop star or what was being seen in the world as being a pop star at that you know, time came came later. So I think maybe we were just very blessed that we had a really great focus on like we felt like our talent and our power lead in our songwriting and that really fed us on a spiritual and soul level to, to just be able to tell our stories. And so it was easy when people would be like, wow, you guys should do this in a bikini or you guys should do this in – and we'd be like, why? That's stupid. Why would we do that? We've never done that in our lives. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It didn't even occur to us like, oh, well, maybe we should do that to appear in this other way because we hadn't always been encouraged by our parents – our parents were a big part of it, mm. to just value ourselves for the effort that we put in and, and what we craft for ourselves, our hard work and our and our passion. Does being in that situation where you do have people telling you to shut up and not give your opinions, does that mean you have to embrace your own sense of feminism maybe and in a strength? Oh, do you consider yourself rebel. feminist? Oh, mm. yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. I mean, I used to rebel in our live shows. Lisa was just telling this story. I used to I – I was very into Screamo. It was quite a big movement in 2005 – the mid the mid two thousands, the used came out. My chem came out, AFI. and I was like, I was like, I love screamo. I wanna, I wanna do some of that in our music. So I just started doing it, and I was quite good at it. And the record company were like, it wasn't even the record company. I shouldn't say that. We were actually signed to a super cool label, but there were certain people that were like, no, you guys are pop musicians. You cannot be screaming in your live shows. Um, in the broadcast that they would do, they would they would get the feeds and they would mute the screams and they would try to do that and I just and anytime they did anything like that we would push harder we would push harder we would push and rebel harder and the the fabric in the the DNA of the Veronica's now is very much shaped by rebelling against people that were trying to set those limits and constantly oppress whatever our voice or creative outlet Vision. was yeah. um, the, the Veronica's yeah. now then compared to the Veronica's way back when What's the difference in the team around you? Like, I imagine you also don't want to surround yourself with yes people all the time. How do you sort of make... We've never been that lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Is there such a thing? Because we'd love that. (laughs) Are there people then that still want to make sure, and is there any part of you that wanted to rebel against the mainstream, like that commercial radio mainstream? I know it is really nice and it gives you a lot of popularity, but I imagine there's other things that you want to explore that you know won't be as mainstream. We're the I think ultimate that we're rebels. We love to rebel against to something. Rebel. But we will always in... find something. Yeah. But I, again, like music nowadays, you know, you've got Spotify, you've got streaming, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to rely on one avenue. It's much more expansive than it used to be. So I remember it's so beautiful, and I bring this up now, but it's so beautiful that Untouched is having this massive resurgence. <laughs> We've been talking about this all week before interviewing you, being like, why the fuck won't this one go it's away? So- it's so great. great, but it's oh, it, thanks. It's it, so great it won't go away. But let me tell you something. We worked that song at radio for over six months because they didn't want to play it because there was no guitars like Kelly Clarkson Clarkson type guitars in it at the time, like our first record. It was so hard to get that no song one wanted added. to play it. Nobody they wanted to play it. They didn't even want to release it as a single. Really? No, the the head of America was like, we're not releasing this. There's no hits on this album. And we were like, we're releasing the album. We had a management company at the time that was like, we're releasing the album. We love this album. And then Untouched went um, as the first, uh, we were the first Australian artist ever in history to have um, platinum downloads uh, in the US, and it went top 20. So that showed him. But yeah, but we had to work that song for a long time. And it's, sometimes it's just timing. Sometimes it's the, you know, musical climate at the time. But I think that we're blessed now as far as what we want to do now. We don't think about radio 
because I think we're just blessed that we don't we don't have to we don't have to use that avenue. But artists don't these days. Out of all the songs you've released, do you have one that kind of has a special place in your heart? Is it Untouched? Is it another <laughs> single? Untouched, take me on the floor, hook me up. That album was, yeah, yeah it was because a special it was our record. Baby. We God, made some bangers on there. <laughs> it really is. Well, you know, it it was created on the living room of our place in LA with a guy named Toby Gad. The majority of that record was done with just the three of us. Um, he wouldn't leave the house. <laughs> we had, had to just order in food because he literally wouldn't let us leave, and he wouldn't let us sleep. But sounds a lot like kidnapping. But yeah, he wasn't. basically did. He kept. But hey, good album hostage out of it. <laughs> in the album uh, in the house. Sorry, well, no, um, it was great. We just had two weeks there, and we just did basically that entire record, and that's how we wanted to approach this this new album. In a and and we way. were so completely not aware of necessarily what we were making. We weren't thinking about people hearing the music. We were definitely excited, though. We were like, we feel like we've created this sound that's just, like, timeless and so cool, and it's something special here. Like, we literally have the sessions up online. Toby filmed the the songwriting sessions. You can watch how we wrote Untouched. Like, we're there, like, hyping each other up, but there's no forethought for the future or what's going to happen with the song. So 12 years later... The fact I it's mean, making I, this huge resurgence this, is just like cool. I sort of jumped <laughs> we knew in it. With this hysterical, <laughs> egotistical comment where it was when I was being like, again, I was dealing with people calling me a bitch on the daily, so I just went like above and beyond self-preservation mode of ego at times and created this personality, like on-stage personality, which was basically the opposite of my real personality. But anyway, where I'm like on the VO being like, yeah, I think we've created this new sound. It's going to be huge. Yep, pretty sure this is going to be a huge hit, you guys. And I just am there like mouthing off, talking absolute smack. And yeah, and it's it's actually so cool now that people love that song. Because you weren't wrong. (laughs) Tell me, what comes after being a pop star? Like, do you ever think about that like we're talking long 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 term is there a time when you think okay maybe the music's gone to bed what do you look like what do your lives look like what do your careers look like what does your relationship look like the next (laughs) a spiritual revolution (laughs) yeah i think a spiritual revolution and i think well first and foremost we're songwriters we were signed as songwriters when we were 17 um before we were ever signed as artists so songwriting is always going to be there uh, whether we're continuing the Veronica's, whether we start our country band <laughs> one day with the loud kids um, or <laughs> yes. wh- whatever the future holds as far as music goes, we will always continue to create. Um, and I mean, personally, it's like the goal is just to be happy. So whatever that looks like. for that out a while ago, which yeah. is nice. Like you, you, I love, um, you know, I love Jim Carrey. I love Russell Brand. I love these people that um, are speaking out quite you know, quite publicly and saying, like, I wish everybody could experience the heightened, most heightened level of success so that you can see that it means nothing. Mm-hmm. All that matters for true success in life is your happiness, is to be invested in the things that are of real value in life, which is, like, your family, your yourself, um, compassion for all and being in, in the most wholehearted space of love that you can be as often as you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, grace, forgiveness, all of that. You know, despite oftentimes having to play a role that doesn't include that in some aspects, we do try to bring that into our careers and definitely our our personal lives exists there as much as possible and we want to bring that more into our careers as much as possible. If you could go back 15 years back in time and say anything to young Jess and Lisa, what would you say? You're more right than you think you are. 
but you don't need to have an ego about it. <laughs> but definitely speak up a little bit more. Mm. Um, definitely speak up a little bit more and chill out a little bit on the eyeshadow. That's probably the advice. Jess and Lisa, thank you <laughs> so much for coming and talking to us today. This new song is amazing. We both love it. We've oh, both been singing you. all of your songs all week now. Oh, um, and you. we genuinely can't wait to see what you guys do next. There's kind of like no world now where you guys can't just keep coming and, and re-releasing good music because you're not going anywhere. Like 15 years young, you're still releasing music that people are really embracing, which is a massive thing. We're so lucky. We're absolutely so lucky that, Bless, you yeah. know, we're, we're in an industry that does do that and we, our fans are still here and loving it. It, it truly is. It's such a blessing. Thank you Thank so you much. so much for Thank having us. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this In Conversation episode of Shameless. If you loved the chat, you can stream the new Veronica single, Think of Me Now, wherever you get your music. You can also find Jess and Lisa on Instagram at the Veronica's Music. As for us, we are on Instagram, of course, at Shameless Podcast. We will see you next week when we will be back in your ears on Monday. Bye, guys. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.